Welcome back to another edition of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your conspiracy skeptic, Carl Namer. Uh, we're going to sort of change things up a bit. This is sort of our new format. Well, not necessarily a new format, but I'm going to mix the formats up a bit. I'm going to continue for a time being with the uh, with the old format, where I sort of you know research a topic and then sort of deliver the topic. Um, but I've been getting a lot of sort of emails, people wanting to, the podcast to continue. So I thought this new format would be a good way to sort of keep the podcast going. So what I'm going to do is uh, sort of do a uh, Conspiracy Skeptic Unplugged, where um, maybe not every week, but every other week, I'm going to have on a, uh, a guest, and I'm going to interview the guest. And the guest will be somebody uh, in the skeptical community, usually a podcaster, maybe a blogger, and they're going to pick a conspiracy, whatever their favorite conspiracy theory is. Then I'll give them a week or two to sort of research it, and then have them on and interview them and sort of you know get them to sort of talk about the conspiracy. And we'll just talk about the conspiracy on the Conspiracy Skeptic Unplugged. Uh, so I, my my first guest. This is sort of the uh, this is sort of my beta, uh, sort of my grand opening version of Conspiracy Skeptic Unplugged. Uh, the uh, Next week, but uh, this week I'm actually going to have on my uh, my old co-host from uh, my previous podcast, uh, Soul Survivors, uh, Jennifer Jennifer Young. Jennifer, hi, how are yeah. you? <laughs> I'm good, Jennifer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jennifer is uh, Je- Jennifer is not technically a part of the skeptical community, but uh, while doing. Uh, Soul Survivor. Sometimes I'll want to call it Soul Podcast, because that's actually the new podcast you're on, right, Jennifer? That is. Right, yeah. So Jennifer, Every week. Yeah, so Jennifer is still uh, a podcaster. She, she sort of uh, went on to another podcast called Soul, Soul Podcast, right? With, uh, yes. With Joe, Joe McPherson. Joe McPherson. Yeah, so, so Joe, Joe and Jennifer were sort of... Uh, well, Joe was a co-host in the dying days of Soul Survivors, and then... Um, Joe really loved all the nude pictures we kept getting from women we <laughs> never met before. You know, because when you're a podcast, like that's why do you think you do podcasts? It's it's, it's the nude pictures, right? And, and the nude men. <laughs> but, uh, no, please, <laughs> that's just a joke. Do not send. I- I'm still waiting on my nude photos. Yeah, yeah. Please <laughs> do not send because I, I I check these emails at work. You know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so so Joe and Jennifer continued on with the uh, with the uh, Soul Soul podcast and yes. uh, just improved on Soul Survivors in ways I can't even describe. It's it an awesome. Joe podcast. puts a lot of work into it. I have to give him credit for it. Um, oh my God! Yeah, yeah. I I just kind of show up. Well, he he lives with his girlfriend, right? So it's like you know when you live alone, those dishes aren't doing themselves. You know, it's like. <laughs> I can do dishes. Yeah. I can, you know, edit together a funny commercial and I sing on it, you know. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Joe, yeah, no. and, and I think they also have some, uh, you know, TV dibs going on. So uh, he doesn't always get the TV shows he wants. Yeah. And and that that's uh, kind of my downfall. There's there, I, there's always what I want to watch on TV. So. <laughs> uh, yes, that that's true. That, that cuts into my uh, getting stuff done time. But no, we should we should we should not uh, we should not sort of denigrate Joe's uh, contribution or his efforts. It's 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 incredible. So I'll, I'll yeah yeah uh, yeah on the website I'll definitely post up a link to uh, Soul, the Soul podcast 
And uh, especially if you know God in this economy, if you have a BA and uh, you have no more job, no job. <laughs> uh, teaching in Asia might be a great way to sort of ride out to the uh, ride out the storm. Is that is that sort of your feeling, Jennifer? Yeah, I was planning on coming home this year, but uh, economy not looking so hot for somebody with a liberal arts degree at the moment. Yeah, well, well you, you, uh, recently, so if, you recently. I, I did finish your, my master's. Right. In, uh, uh, my, my master's is in TESOL education, which is teaching English, uh, basically ESL education. Right. So um, I'm not a public school certified teacher. Okay. So basically, I could parlay that into community college work which uh, my mother does, and I know from my mother doing it that it actually pays less than public school teaching. Yeah. Uh, Which is to say, uh, not really an option for a single person who is supporting themselves and don't want to be on welfare or food stamps. What's kind of the other downside is uh, ESL teaching in Asia can be quite lucrative depending on location, but right then when you come come back to uh, North America, it can be uh, not... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. One of my friends uh, is an ESL teacher uh, in Toronto for the same company that I work for. Okay. Uh, here, and she works usually six days a week, uh, usually all day, and then she has uh, she's an essay uh, like a basically she helps students learn how to write essays for their college entrance tests and applications. So. Uh, she does hours and hours and hours of essay revisions in her free time. So uh, it's definitely a, a full-time job plus over there. And and um, I would say that the money she makes is probably less than what I make, at least after you consider the tax differences. Wow. But, uh, but you know, you can get 100 channels on cable. English, Indeed, cha- yeah, so. English channels. it's a balance life is a balance game indeed yeah but uh, she can get poutine anytime she wants there you go right a bit more biographical data so uh you you're from uh you're you're american i'm I'm canadian you're american yes right and you're from uh the fabulous fabulous state of louisiana yeah and uh um you have shoe stores in louisiana (laughs) we do we we generally wear shoes, you know, that... Oh, no, I'm, 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 well, I'm not talking like baby shoe stores. I'm talking like adult shoe stores. Yeah, yeah, you know. Okay. Uh, not everybody lives like Tom Sawyer. You know, some oh. of us wear, wear shoes. Okay. All right. Generally Je- generally accepted in the workplace. Je- Jennifer and I, if we ever do a future podcast together, my, my, my idea is a podcast called uh, uh, Jennifer Explains the South Again to a Canadian. So... <laughs> Oh, and every, of course, every, then the flip side would be a Canadian explains Canada to an American. Yeah, that's true. So uh, yeah, because like, um, I, I have to admit that uh, basically I grew up. Now I have to say I am about as far from Canada as you can get uh, in the contiguous forty-eight states. Uh, but we were always sort of just made to assume that Canada was exactly like the U.S., just colder. That's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but long story short is uh, my dad is not a Mountie and your dad does not play in a jug band. Yeah, and and no one in my family owns a gun. Oh wow! Okay, man, not, I not a family of hunters. So or, many or otherwise gun owners. 
So many biases. All right. And, and you used to be used to be in the army, Jennifer. The American I army. I was indeed. Yes. All right. Okay. And what what did, what did you do in the American army? Uh, uh, I was a Korean linguist uh, in signal intelligence. So that was my Korea connection. I studied Korean uh, for the army, but was not stationed here. Okay. And so basically, my job was listening to a radio. All right. So signal intelligence. You were listening to. NSA talking to the UFO people was it was, was that <laughs> that's what? exactly it we listened in on the SETI stuff you know okay what? all right then yeah <laughs> so you see you, you are the perfect guest host for this, this, this beta edition of conspiracy skeptic right. unplugged you know all the skinny all right. right so uh, all right so you're, you're you're currently teaching English in Korea not in Seoul but sort of a, a suburb of Seoul suburb of Seoul yeah. Okay, all right. That's a pretty nice area, right? It's called Bun- Bundang. Bundang, quite a nice area, very uh, upscale, a well-planned city, clean and relatively quiet, uh, especially compared to most of Seoul. So it's a very, very pleasant living environment, but with all the conveniences that Seoul offers. Cool. And, nice. and, and you've got a cat. I've got a cat that um, likes to express himself. Ah, yes, yeah, so yeah. I'm sure right. he will make himself heard throughout the, the episode. Right. So it's, 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 it's a, if you hear some noise in the background, it's a cat, not a small Korean child who's, I'm hungry! I'm hungry! <laughs> yes. Right. Although in the middle of the night when he's expressing himself, I always hope that neighbors just think it's a crying child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because, <laughs> you know, they're, they're more likely to go, oh, poor parents with that crying child. Instead of, shut up, your damn cat! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, and you, you've been in Korea for a while, teaching. You've been there since, like, shor- uh, shortly after... Since the, the end of the war, you know. Uh, okay, right. <laughs> they, they started rebuilding, and they said, hey, we need some English teachers. And I said, hey, I'm not doing anything with this bachelor's degree. <laughs> yeah, so since the, uh, the, the end of the IMF, the uh, international, the Asian financial crisis, 1997. Yes, uh, yes. Actually, I, uh, after I got out of the army, I wanted to come here. So okay. I uh, finished my degree. And uh, the reason I had joined the army was because I kept changing majors. So I had uh, quite disparate coursework. And uh, the quickest degree I could get was sociology. So I did that, and then I came on over here. Intending to be here for a year, but I've been here a thousand years now, <laughs> or yes. ten to be more exact. All right, and I guess the reason I'm having on Jennifer is is uh, now you're not technically you know a you're not part of the skeptical community, you know, a skeptical blogger or a skeptical podcaster. But but uh, when I when I when you were my co-host on uh, Soul Survivors, I, I was always impressed that you, that you're kind of a natural skeptic. You know, unlike sort of you know uh, you know I'm kind of like a trained skeptic. You know, <laughs> I I, to- I totally immerse myself in the culture. You know, subscribe to the their journals and uh, you know attend their little events and you know buy their t-shirts and stuff like that and and so i'm you know i'm totally sort of steeped in the skeptical culture but uh you but you uh you're 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 not but i just like to mock people yeah but but you 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 always sort of struck me as uh just the the way you approach things you had this very sort of skeptical sort of analytical rational approach to things and uh we need you in the skeptical community, Jennifer. And, uh, but uh, yeah, so 
Yeah, I mean, we usually you were applying your skepticism to uh, religion because you know Korea is like yes, yeah. Religion in Korea is like a, it's like a blood sport there, pretty much. It really it it's like um, the only religion is basically like televangelism. Yeah, in the state, yeah. like that really hardcore in your face. This is exactly what you have to believe, and if you don't believe it, you're just wrong. Yeah. And um, also come to my church. Yeah. Well, I think a little history. <laughs> you know, there's like, there, there's not really an appreciation to each his own, and our our views are similar but different, and that's okay. There, there's none of that. It's you come to my church or you're wrong. Yeah. So it's it's it's, it's, it's a lot of competition for uh, you know for for souls like you know get souls in soul trying to get uh, you know people att- attend my church attend my church and uh, espe- yeah. especially if what we, we call ourselves we call ourselves whiteies uh, especially if you're a whitey to you know land well that's just that's one specific church that has an interpretation of the bible that um the more foreigners that attend your church the the more god likes you oh, yeah, basically because cool. so the bible was written in english so, so. <laughs> um yeah, their their interpretation is is um, quite extreme, and they so they'll frequently be out on the streets in pairs looking for white people, and um, they'll they'll literally corner you like they'll stand at forty five degree angles right in front of your shoulders, so so you absolutely can't move unless you back up and and go around them, and and they'll try to get you to go to a second location right away. It's very uh, not very uncomfortable making for the average foreigner, especially a woman on her own. You know, when when you're on your own in a strange country, especially, and and somebody comes up to you and and won't let you easily walk away, and they want you to go with them to a second location, it Getting there. really doesn't uh, make you feel comfortable. Get in their, and welcome. Get in their van, basically. <laughs> yes, basically. You know, I, I kind of feel like, uh, should I hand you my phone so I can't contact anyone? <laughs> it's like we've got we've got Songpyeon and barley tea. Come. Yes, and yeah. The, well, their big hook is um, they know the the name of the mother, the mother of God. Oh, right. Yes. And so, so the first time I. They said, "Do you know the name of the mother?" And I was like, "Oh, well, of course, it's Mary." And they looked horrified, and they were like, "No, no, no, no! You must come with us right now. We'll we'll introduce you to the name of the mother." But but it wasn't the, the mother of God, as it turned out, wasn't uh, Mary. It was like it was like a middle aged Korean woman. Odd that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the rationale was because there, you know, the second coming actually happened, but it happened in Korea. And uh, yeah. and right, so the the Jesus came back, but he came back as like a fifty year old Korean man, and and then he I don't know, he died of a heart attack. So so while the, the whole rest of the world is waiting for the second coming, the Mother of God Church people they really know we're actually waiting for the third coming. So, yeah. but but his wife, or I think it's his wife or something. She's she's still kicking. So she's uh, you know she's sort of inherited the. Uh, Leadership of the church, and they, they, she's the mother of God. So, but but it's weird. It's, hey, I, the mother is married to the son of God. It's it's 
It, oh, sounds a bit incestuous you know, to me. It's ugly, but uh, yeah. So. Uh, wow, you know, if I if I get right on it, I, I still have time to to have myself a child of God. Here you go. I, I think I think uh, I think maybe uh, Jesus might be reborn to me. That could that could be profitable, right? I mean, not that not that they would be doing that for profit, of course. Religion is profit. What I always found most. Uh, <laughs> But I, the the ones I hated the most were the uh, Jehovah's Jehovah's Witnesses, where um, you're sort of walking down the street, you know, minding your own business, or you're you know you're at the mall, Coex. There, there there's only one mall in all of Korea. Can you imagine 50 million people all having to use one mall? It's crazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the mall. So uh, you know you're going to the mall in Korea. And, uh, and, and this very, very attractive woman with very good English sort of comes up to you and you know, there's a little bit of small talk and then you're like, oh my God, this is, this is the, you know, this is the Korean woman I moved to Korea to meet, you know, uh, good looking and I don't have to teach her English, you know, and then, and then out comes the watchtower, you know, and then you're like, yeah. oh God, <laughs> Well, they they know where I live. I've lived in the same apartment for five years now, and um, they they bring me the English copy right on the dot every month. Oh, that's nice of them. And, but they don't they don't know that that um, I've gotten divorced. So I, my excuse every month is my husband is sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I I can't open the door more than a crack. My husband is sleeping. <laughs> wow. Regardless of time of day. They must think that he's in a coma. Oh yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> so the, uh, the 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 actual so your, your conspiracy. So I, I charge you. I say, Jennifer, what is your favorite conspiracy? Research it a bit, and then you'll 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 come on the show. So, uh, and you picked uh, what was your what's your favorite conspiracy theory? Holocaust revision. They do not like the term denier. Oh, oh really? They like revision. Now, I will say they don't like the term Holocaust denier, but the words that they use to describe believers, Holocaust believers, a.k.a. people. Right. You know, um, legitimate historians, you know. Right. Most people with PhDs from Oxford who, you know, study history all their life, right? The the true believers. (laughs) Right. The blind faith believers. um, They call it... Holocausters, Holocaust promoters, oh, really? the Holocaust lobby, and exterminationists. Exterminationists. So I, I think they really have co-opted the language of the uh, pro-life people. You know, like pro-choice is not pro-choice, it's like pro-abortion. Ah, right, you know, right. the, the Holocaust believers are uh, exterminationists and the Holocaust lobby, like there's somebody lobbying for the Holocausting. All right, so yeah, so 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 the top, Holocaust denial. Um, yeah. Now, now the this was. Go ahead. Can I can I explain why I love this? Oh yeah, one? sure. Go ahead. Um, I was actually an exchange student in Germany. My senior year of high school, I spent in Germany. Okay. And um, I lived in a tiny little town, like 400 people. And so I, I went to school in the next town, which had like maybe 5,000 people. Okay. And uh, the year I was going to school there, they opened a memorial museum on the site of the Jewish cemetery that had been desecrated in World War II. Okay. And uh, as a tie-in, our class trip, which 
I refer to as the guilt trip of 88 was a trip to Poland. And we spent uh, over a week. We went to five cities, uh, three camps, and uh, various and sundry other places. Literally the only things we saw were camps, ghettos, museums, and memorials. If it did not have to do with killing Jews, we did not go see it. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, and this... Okay, um, at this time, Poland was still communist. It was like this awesome opportunity to look behind the Iron Curtain. Right, sure. And literally, like, it was a complete tie-in with the the town opening that museum. And all we saw was, uh, like, remnants of of World War II. Because I I was thinking, like, you know, uh, like, don't these people sort of understand the need for comic relief? You know, like, (laughs) Shakespeare did. (laughs) But, but I guess it's, you know, Iron Curtain Poland, so, you know, no. <laughs> what is this? Well, no, no, no. Um, uh, my, my school had arranged the whole uh, trip. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, we, did have, we did have a Polish tour guide, but right. uh, my, my school had arranged it all. Okay. So yeah. just very stern Germans who... Yes, yeah. yes. Well, I guess, I mean, I mean, that's the nice thing about, you know, Germany is they, you know... Is the, was the Germans taking you to where, you know, the, the, their nasty handiwork. So, sort of, uh, not sort of, the Germans not wanting to sort of sweep it under the rug, like, oh, you know, the whole Korea-Japan thing, right? You know? Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. Right. <laughs> where, where they're still taking it out of textbooks. Yeah, come back to Asia, we see a lot of revisionism still going on in Korea and Japan about... Like, you know, well, I mean, Japan, obviously, uh, you know, they, they try to rewrite their history. But then, you know, the, uh, the Korean War, you know, South Korea is trying to rewrite a bit of its history in terms of, well, yeah, we, we didn't really murder all these South Koreans on this island. The Americans made us murder them all, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, there's... Well, it's always the Americans. Yes, there's a lot of revisionism still going on in uh, in, in about World War Two in, in that part of the world. But yeah, so it, but the Germans tend to be like, "Hey, we did it. We're sorry. Uh, we don't want to forget." Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and um, denial of the Holocaust is is a crime in in Germany and Austria and a few other places. And when I was in Australia, one of the big Holocaust deniers uh, tried to get a visa. I think he was promoting a new book, and uh, he was denied a visa because of his views. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, Irving. Uh, hold on. Irving. Yeah, David Irving. David Irving, yes. Right. Well, I got, we'll, we'll get to him in a bit, I think. David Irving. Yeah, yeah. Of oh, course. Okay. Well, cool. <laughs> you, were, you, were, you were there for, for that. Okay. So, so your, your German-Polish adventure, you, 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 saw, you saw the evidence, or not not just the, the evidence of the camps, but also, you know, all all of the memorials and the ghettos and and all of those things. Which uh, some of the Holocaust revision suggests that it was all built post World War II as a tourist attraction. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, when I went there in '88, there was still considerable reconstruction going on. Okay. And it it seemed hard for me to believe that they would uh, build these very detailed, thorough tourist attractions, and and yet the the cities would have massive uh, construction needs right, forty right. years after the fact. Right. You know? Yeah. 
Well, it's like why, uh, why rebuild a city that people are going to use? <laughs> there's like one one Holocaust revisionist. He, uh, you know, he he wrote about his report of the you know, his tour of the Holocaust Museum in Washington D.C. and he's claiming, you know, there's some exhibit where they had a bunch of like shoes or or, or something, you know. You know that you know the Nazis would have taken from death camp survivors, and and uh, and he sort of makes this claim, um, you know, you know you can see their rubber shoes with "Made in China" stamped on them, and, and yeah. Uh, yeah. So this 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 one guy who um, uh, who sort of set up a uh, he, he sort of, he's got this website, sort of the big clearinghouse, you know, where he sort of takes on all the denial claims. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll put a link to that. He, uh, you know, he he actually went to the Holocaust Museum and he went looking for these rubber shoes with China. And he couldn't find them, so so yeah. Sometimes he's denied. Well, after this other guy made the report, they obviously went and picked through and and got rid of those. Oh uh, yeah, well of course yeah <laughs> yeah. But that's I mean that's sort of one of the hallmarks of denial's claims is sometimes they just, they they just make stuff up. You know they just purely make yeah. stuff up. And, and well, well, one of that I loved was that Israeli Jews call. Uh, the Holocaust tourism industry show yeah. up business. There, there's no business like show up business. I'm like, right. yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure in Hebrew that's exactly the same. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure that's the same pun. Well, there's, there seems to be, I think, at least three thrusts to the Holocaust denial. There's the there's the, um, the well, the Holocaust just didn't happen. There's yeah. the you know well, what happened, but it's not as bad. And the post-war, the the Jews have made it into a huge industry. You know, yeah. what, why don't they just shut up about it? And, uh, and the other one is uh, is uh, you know, it, well, it, it did happen, but um, you know, the Allies, they, you know, they had their own Holocaust. There was a book called Other Losses. You know, that that you know, Ike actually, you know. Exterminated, you know, some three million Germans in POW camps themselves. So, you know, it's called the To To. It's, it's Latin. I can't even pronounce it. To To Q fallacy. The, the, the you did it too fallacy. You know, it's like um, um, you know, trying to argue your way out of a speeding ticket by saying, "Well, the other guy was speeding. You didn't pull him over." You know, so the. Uh, you know, why are we complaining about you know the what the Germans did when all the you know when you know Eisenhower he you know he killed all those Germans in his own Holocaust? So like like it just sort of balances out, you know. In his own Holocaust, now now was this Holocaust um, soldiers killing other soldiers by any uh, chance? Well, 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 no. Well, this this, this, was, this was a book called. Uh, it, it, it came out in the uh, uh, probably the eighties, late eighties. You and I are roughly the the, the same age, so. Uh, but your 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 age is actually a tightly guarded secret. We've never. Well, after I just admitted that my senior trip was in eighty eight, I think most people oh. can do the math. Holy crap! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna do the math after. But anyway, so, uh, <laughs> we 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 are roughly the same age. I mean, you've never actually told me your age, and. and uh, but just just that you know we have so many similar cultural counterpoints. Yeah, you know, like, our, yeah. our um, culture reference points are, are pretty much the same. Yeah, it's like when I go cheeseburger, 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 cheeseburger. You don't you don't just sort of sit there where like what the hell are you talking about, Carl? You know, like some of the other twenty year olds maybe we tend to work with in in Korea teaching English. You you do that to them and they're just like, what? 
you know, Saturday yeah. Night Live, you know, 1977, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, uh, yeah, they don't know. But right, so, um, right, the other, other losses, uh, right, so there, there was this author, not a historian, um, you know, he sort of, he thought he sort of stumbled on the, you know, the, this long buried secret that, you know, that, um, uh, you know, Eisenhower sort of, after the war was done and they had all these Germans in prison camps that Eisenhower sort of uh, systematically exterminated about, that was about three million, three million, um, about three million Germans, and uh, and, and it's all based on some some sort of uh, you know figure he sort of saw in some kind of you know report where it said sort of like other losses, and they sort of totaled them all up, and it came to about three million. But as it kind of sort of turned out, you know, he thought other losses sort of meant like as in like like dead people, but it, it just sort of meant like um, like young people, you know, they captured a lot of, like, young, like, 16-year-olds, right, during, yeah. during the war, and they obviously, and they captured a lot of, like, 70-year-old men, you know, you know, the very last people, sort of, you know, thrown to defend the fatherland, and, 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 and these people were clearly, you know, no threat, so they just sort of, they just quickly let them out of the camp, sort of saying, well, you know, you, you got to go work on the farm, you know, you, you don't, you shouldn't be in this camp, you know, you should be out making food, you know, farming, and the old men are like, well, you're seven years old, you know, you can barely hold up that Panzerfaust, you know, like, just go back and take care of your grandkids, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're, you know, they don't have parents anymore, so, so when they released those people into camps, they were just called other losses, so, but, but, you know, but the, uh, you know, sort of the Holocaust revisionist crowd sort of, sort of jumped on that, and they're, and they're kind of like, we're not saying the Holocaust happened, but if it did, well, you know, the Americans killed three million. So who are you to start lecturing, you know, us, that, that kind of thing? Yeah. And, and one of the things that I came across over and over again was uh, that, um, that there was no proof that the people died from being gassed. Right, right. They, they mostly died of starvation, disease, or being shot. So, right, so yeah. apparently those are perfectly acceptable. It's just if you gas someone, that's what makes it a holocaust. <laughs> right, right. The, yeah, the uh, um, <laughs> right. Sort of, you know, kind of like within the, uh, you know, that well, you know, the uh, the sort of the holocaust and now the holocaust actually happened. Right, is, is sort of the idea that that. Well, you know, yeah, sure, people died, but, you know, it was a war. There was a war on. You know, people die of starvation and disease and, you know, and they're, they're put in these camps. We don't doubt that. You know, they're put in the camps for their safety, of course. And some of them wanted to escape, so they had to be shot. And, you know, yeah, they're sort of like, but, but gas chambers? No, 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 no. What, what, and it almost sounds like, like very compelling proof until you sort of, sort of examine it where... Um, you know, they, they sort of do forensic tests of the of the gas chambers, you know? so they know like, well, this is the gas chamber where they sent people to die, and you know, and this is sort of a gas chamber for that era where they were using it for like, uh, you know, delousing, you know, killing maggots right. and stuff, and, and, and you know, clothing and stuff like that, and yeah. so, 
so, so the delousing chambers, either they find, you know, the cyanide concentrations are very, very high in the delousing chambers. And in the chambers they said supposedly were killing people, they find very trace amounts of cyanide. And yeah, so the, what they don't mention is those, the ones used for humans were bombed, or, sorry, they used dynamite to destroy the evidence when sort of the, the allies were closing in. And so those have been exposed to the elements for the, like over 40 years before they did the testing. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and Whereas but, the ones for delousing have been locked up. Yeah, well, but but the, the 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 real you know so the real sort of you know um, uh, you know stake in the heart of that argument is that is that you know it, it, it actually if you're going to delouse something you actually really do need very high concentrations of cyanide because because you know oh. maggots maggots don't maggots don't breathe through lungs they they absorb through their skin and and you know and they're in clothing and little air pockets. I, I think it's two hundred times. Yeah, uh, exactly. Lice require 200 times the concentration that humans require to die, and lice require um, many hours of exposure, whereas humans need like 15 minutes of exposure. Exactly. So they're really completely comparing apples and oranges yeah, uh, exactly. with that one. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, so that, that's sort of one of those things where it kind of like you know, if you if you don't sort of look sort of do your research, it almost sounds like, wow, yeah, how can they go, how can they claim that, you know, when when it's yeah. like, you know, like, there's almost no cyanide in those, you know, human gas chambers, but yeah, but because it's just, it, just it, it's, it doesn't it's, take that much to kill a person. Yes. It, what, We're not as strong as lice. I know, oddly that, yeah, it, it sort of <laughs> seems, it almost seems sort of, you know, counterintuitive, but in fact, it's just, just the way, you know, the way biology goes, yeah. It requires 0.3 grams per cubic meter uh, per cubic meter for five minutes to kill a person and five grams per cubic meter for at least two hours uh, to kill uh, lice but um, it needs to be done for six hours to make sure it kills all the lice right yeah yeah so so a much higher concentration and length of time to uh, kill lice and they also use the uh, excuse that um, or the logic, sorry, that the people clearing the bodies out would have had to wait for several days according to the um, delousing uh, safety protocols but um, first of all uh, that would be like if you bug bombed your house and you have to stay (laughs) out a couple of hours, it's because it's not good for you to go in right away and breathe it Right. But um, this would be stuff that has no carpet, no furniture, nothing that's actually like soaking up the the poison. And also, they were using uh, slave inmate labor to get the bodies out, and probably didn't really care if they died too. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's not like these were were soldiers that they were having carrying the bodies out. Right. They were they were uh, other Jews. It's like, it's like the uh, you know the people who claim we never went to the moon. You know they'll say, well those Van Allen you know belts have so much radiation. You know that, that's 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 deadly to humans. And it's like it's like well, you know it's deadly if you're you know spending three days in the Van Allen belts. But if you're spending fifteen minutes flying through them, you know you yeah. you you can be exposed to a certain level of radiation. And and I mean it increases your risk down the road of cancer, but it's not yeah. It's not immediately deadly, right? So, yeah. Much so, like getting an x-ray. If you were to, like, sit in the x-ray machine getting x-ray after x-ray after x-ray, not good. But yeah, but one x-ray yeah. to see if you broke a leg will not kill you. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, lot, 
conspiracy theories, um, how I sort of approach. Because, I mean, there clearly are real conspiracies. And, uh, yes, you know, uh, but, mean, but the logic that they use, and of course the facts that they use, um, one of the ones that I had to check out was that they said that uh, portions of the Diary of Anne Frank were written with a ballpoint pen, Ah, right. Uh, yes. and, and there were no ballpoint pens at that time. So, of course, I had to look it up. And the first patent on a ballpoint pen was uh, issued in the 1800s. And the Bureau patent was, uh, Bureau got their patent in 1938. Uh, so I don't know if bureaus were widely used, which if you're in America, Bureau is roughly equivalent to BIC. Okay. It's, it's like, you know, the ballpoint pen. I think in England, they even, like, we call them BICs in the States. They call them bureaus in England and Australia. Right. Uh, so 1938. And um, also, Anne Frank's father later admitted that he uh, rewrote some portions and, and deleted some stuff uh, before it was published. Right. So, you know, presumably he didn't, like, put in a lot of effort to try to make his handwriting look exactly like hers. I'm going to guess, you know. Right, yeah. Well, you know, one of the, uh, that's sort of, you know, using the denialist label. You know, what, what is, uh, you know, what is a denialist? And, and you know, um, one of the hallmarks of the denialist is, is um, you know, sort of always repeating these claims. Like, you know, so like, yeah, the, yeah. you know, like the, uh, the, uh, the, the lousing, you know, the cyanide concentration claim or the ballpoint pen claim, right? And, um, and, uh, and, and those, those, okay, you know, those might be valid points to raise as maybe a historian. Like, well, how do we know Anne Frank wrote this? What's the evidence for? What's the evidence against? Right. And you say, well, geez, you know, she was using ballpoint pen. You know, did ballpoint pens exist at that time? And then, you know, you sort of do your research and you discover, oh, no, you know, yeah, the yes. ballpoint yes, they did. existed. She had access to them. You know, there's a good chance she could write in ballpoint pen. And you go, okay. And, uh, but, you know, but, but the denier will not then sort of introduce that evidence. The denier will go, will just take the, you know, take the, uh, uh, you know, the sort of the anti-claim, you know, uh, and then just keep endlessly repeating it and never sort of going, but no, but there's, but this is, there's this extant evidence and criticism of that claim and it's been out there for 20 years and, you know, you just keep repeating this claim and you never... Uh, you know, you, you you never address the counterclaim. You know, uh, maybe your point's right, but this counterclaim is out there and it's been out there for 20 years. You now have to sort of tell me why is this counterclaim wrong? And, and and deniers don't do that. They just they just keep repeating all the old claims and never address the counterclaims. So they yeah, they, which, they, is, they, which right. is really funny because over and over in the literature that I came across, it it states how uh, like it's their duty to, you know, create a dialogue with the yes. Holocausters, uh, the Holocaust promoters, uh, to to get the truth out there. And they sort of uh, say that uh, the believers sort of shut them down and, and will not engage in a meaningful dialogue and simply go back to uh, the same, like, kind of almost in- incestuous... Uh, citations where like one person is quoting another person's research but uh, you know over and over different people end up citing the same research but using different 
you know, reprints or different sources, right. you know, and, and then considering that to be like an expanded uh, level of proof. Right. Yeah. Well, on, you know, on teacher, teacher message board, <coughs> there is a, this is where I get most of my topics for my conspiracy skeptic uh, podcast is, is my old Korea uh, teacher message board. You know, uh, you don't necessarily get high functioning individuals teaching in uh, Korea, right? <laughs> you know, and, uh, and not, not all of them, no. not all of them. And, and you, you get a really disproportionate number of, uh, you know, freaks and, uh, uh, conspiracy nuts. And, you know, my, my favorite one was a guy who, who believed in chemtrails and like he would, he would spend <laughs> all, he would spend all day standing outside of apartment, like looking up at the sky and like looking, you at, know, I, I did consider that, but I thought that'd be less fun to research. Yeah, I know, because that one's just so, there's not a lot to talk about there. Just like, yeah. you're an idiot. <laughs> End of story. But yeah, so, the, the, so you get a lot of weirdos. And there was this one guy recently who's, uh, you know, sort of sort of trotting out all the all the, sort of the, the Holocaust denial stuff. Although he claims he's not a Holocaust denier. He's just, you know, he's just upset that you can't ask questions. And if you ask questions, then you are a criminal and you're thrown in jail. Yeah, that's another thing that I've come across too a lot. They they all point out that it's it's so politically incorrect to even bring it up that yeah. there might be alternative views and and how nobody can uh, update the knowledge and they even like I came across someone admitting that um, Holocaust believers right. have revised the numbers that were supposedly killed in in the camps and, and they take that as proof that it didn't exist like oh huh. they said it was six million now they think maybe it was four million obviously it didn't exist at all right yeah so, well, so you, apparently okay. believers can can update their you know we've got better record keeping capabilities now they've had more time for people to do research and go through documents and you know um, all of these things so the the fact that immediately after the war there was a lot of upheaval and chaos and maybe the numbers were were not strictly speaking accurate but over time they've become more accurate but right. apparently that that's not possible it's just right, a yeah. sign that it's all a big lie right yeah it's, it's like what you sort of encounter a lot in the, like uh, you know creationists it's like you know you yes, know yes. because science actually you know revises itself you know it's self-correcting and they go well the best evidence says we think it's this and then later on we go well, we got better evidence we think it's this now you know that's that doesn't you know, just because you you are you know, improving your numbers doesn't mean you you go well. Since you're wrong about this, you must be wrong about everything. And that, yeah, that's exactly the kind of the kind of line they they want to they want to toss out there. Uh, yes. Well, and, and, and the other thing too is like, oh, the six million number. The six million number is sacred. If you say it was like five point five, you know, you will be thrown in jail. You know, and yes. uh, and I, I like to point out, I'm like, well, if you look, I mean, there's a lot of legitimate historians if they've got big range of numbers something you know from four million to you know seven million and as far as I know the legitimate historians on the low end they've never been thrown in jail you know right <laughs> because they are basing their numbers on you know legitimate historical records and you know they're going well very taking very very conservative sources and, and numbers and stuff like that and and it, right, it, they would rather right. err on the side of conservatism. Yeah, is when you cross the line, like I say, when you like when you are trying to revise the numbers, but based on 
based on claims that have been you know debunked for 20 30 years and you keep trying to revise numbers based on those then it's then it's clear that it's like you're not really uh, you know trying to perform you know legitimate historical inquiry you're just going with these tired old you know canards and you, you've got you've got an agenda but I mean yeah. I'm, I shouldn't say though that I think I don't think Holocaust deniers should be thrown in jail. I, 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 no, I'm sure no. you agree too. I mean, you know, most of them are just big nose freaks and they hang themselves with their own words. You know, so it's like yeah, yeah. And even even um, as much as I was amused that David Irving was denied a visa into Australia, like I, I think that his beliefs shouldn't uh, keep him out of a country. Yeah, for sure. As funny as I found it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, obviously in America, you know, he has the right to express his idiocy as much as he wants. Yeah. Uh, and this whole idea that nobody's allowed to um, ever say that anything didn't happen is also, like, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Herman Rosenblatt came out and admitted that his story of meeting his wife, uh, like, he's been telling the story for years that right, she threw right, apples yes. to him over the, over the fence and uh, other survivors came out and said, "No, that's not. There's not possible. There's no place in the in, in the fence line that that would have been possible." Right. Because survivors do not want false survivor tales. Right. Even even something like this romantic love story, you know, they they only want uh, you know strictly factual things because once that door is open, you know, then. You know, it's a slippery slope, I guess. Right. But um, the the deniers or the revisionists uh, say that you can never say that. And the only witness accounts are survivors. And apparently survivors are not to be believed. Uh, and you know, they, they, they think it's very unfortunate that if you come forth with your own witness uh, information from uh, the soldier side, you'll you'll be thrown in jail automatically <laughs> or deported, and um, I, I think that I, I could be wrong on this. I, I didn't actually research it. Uh, as far as I know, only the only people that would be deported were the people that would be wanted for war crimes. Like if you were some low-level, you know, driver or something, I don't I don't think you'd be deported just because you happen to be in the German army during the war. You know, on the other hand, if you were in the SS or, you know, if you were the, the commandant of a camp and you came forward and said, I, I know that's I know we didn't kill six million. I know we only killed three million because I was the <laughs> one who ordered it. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. In that case, you might be looking at some deportation. Right. Yeah. Not, not because of what you said, who you actually are. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the cook who uh, worked on the line at, at one of the camps, I don't think is... Uh, is up for the death penalty. Right. So, so basically, as far as they're concerned, no one from the German military would be able to come forward as a witness because they would automatically be deported and thrown in jail. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, on the future message board, the, the guy I was arguing with, he uh, his sort of his sort of a, his initial post was he had this really bizarre line of thinking where the um, the uh, you know, Auschwitz, uh, you know. He claimed recently, this is important, recently uh, Auschwitz has revised their numbers from like, uh, it was like 3 million dead down to 1.5 million were, were killed. Yes, yes, I, I read that as well. Okay, all right. And, uh, and so he's like, so he's like, well, there's, you know, 
there is a uh, you know like there's a 1.5 million no sorry it was like four million four million people dead at Auschwitz and they revised it recently to 1.5 million and he's like now there's a 2.5 million you know difference in the figure so how come the six million number has not changed and uh, so you know so I sort of did my research and and I can't figure out why you know denialists can't use Google but. <laughs> And, and <laughs> maybe well, they deny first, Google as well. Yeah. Well, for, first, it's like you know, this Auschwitz did revise the numbers. Like there was a plaque, and they did revise the number from like four four million to uh, to like one point five. But it didn't actually happen recently. It happened in like nineteen ninety one. So I first sort of raked him over the coals. I'm like, because he's trying to argue like, you know, these Holocaust historians they need to be accurate. They need to be honest. You know, and I'm like, yes. Yeah, which they also believe, which is why they have foundations that that that's what they do. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, well, so first of all, like, uh, you know, like 1991, <laughs> you know, it's like 2008. <laughs> that doesn't occur. That doesn't seem recent to me. And, and the other thing is that it's uh, like the numbers were sort of Soviet era. This is back when you know Poland was under the Iron Curtain. And you've been there, right? And and. And and the, 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 these numbers were, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Soviet-inspired sort of propaganda. Like, look how terrible the Germans were. Look, those West Germans over there—they're the ones who did it. They killed four million. They want to kill eight million this time around. So, so the, the, those those numbers were Soviet propaganda. But the thing is that, that no Western historian has ever used those Soviet propaganda numbers in their calculation of, of the number of deaths. And that information is out there in like a billion sources on Google, and it's easy to find. I found it in 20 seconds. You know? so, so, the, so the reason why the six million figure was never revised is because the Soviet propaganda numbers were never included in the six million figure. So you know, I point this out to him. And, uh, and, you know, he just sort of ignores and just keeps coming back to that same point, you know. And, and uh, but he, he rejects the denialist label, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, <laughs> yeah. He, yeah he's, uh, I, he, he was an odd one. He, I think one of the, uh, the uh, I believe the Holocaust happened and it was a terrible thing. But then everything he says is like straight out of a denialist website, you know. <laughs> like yeah okay <laughs> yeah and, and the fact that um they they think oh you know six million is a you know a, a gross exaggeration a huge exaggeration only about a million and a half well okay is a million and a half an acceptable number yeah yeah you know like oh well if they're killed with guns and if they're starved and die of disease because of inhumane living conditions that's okay yeah if, if they're gassed and it's six million then then that's not okay like like obviously they have some line on the other hand they they point out um one of them pointed out uh, the uh vietnamese uh i think it's my lay incident where uh 300 civilians were gunned down by american soldiers And, and they're like you know so so look how bad america is well yes that is an atrocity but again apples and oranges first 300 in in one incident compared to millions in a systematic you know set over systematic camp system over several countries in addition to the ghettos and the other you know policies uh, but also comparing Vietnam the Vietnam War to uh, 
World War II. World War II, the, the soldiers were the obvious enemy, and, and that's who the soldiers fought was other soldiers, but in Vietnam, like, pretty much anybody could be, you know, right, working right. with the Viet Cong. You know, civilian, the civilian soldier line was, was very uh, gray. Right. So, so mistakes happen. That opened, right. that opened the door <laughs> no. for, for those kind of things. Now, it doesn't make it no. any less no. tragic, no. obviously, but it, it does, you know, American soldiers were not walking into German cities and gunning people down in the streets. Right. You know. So again, not not an equivalent comparison. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you know, the six million figure, I, I kind of liken it to. Um, it's like, especially when when I'm in Canada, uh, you know, like February. But about February twenty four, I always flip my calendar over to March, and I just call it March. You know. Okay. I'm like I'm like I don't care. I just round up fe- the end of February to March. I just want it to be March. Although March is no warmer than February in Canada, anyway. But, uh, you know, so it's like, you know, it's not necessarily a number, you know, historians use. It's just, it's a round number. It's like the number that's out there and, you know, people people repeat it. It's like, you know, you you only use 10% of your brain, you know. Yeah. But, well, that's a myth. So maybe that's a bad analogy because now it's like, well, it's like the the six million died in there you know but you know it's, it's just there's just a it's like when people say they always say well 90 percent of people think this way you know it's just a round number of people just pick out it's, it, it, it looks good in print versus like four point you know five eight million you know, something like that so, yeah I don't know. Um, and the the revisionists also have a problem with the fact that the six largest camps were all in poland and and they provide that also as evidence that it wasn't a holocaust, which I'm I don't even know what that logic is. <laughs> they, they were run by Nazi soldiers who had taken over Poland, right? And Poland had a very large Jewish population in addition to being centrally located. Um, so it it just made sense, you right, know, yeah. like yeah. like logistically, it was outside of Germany, so they could hide it from their own people. It was in a location where they would have lots of people in the immediate area that they would be sending there anyway. And it was centrally located to, you know, the, the area of Europe that they were in, in general. Right, yeah. You know, the, um, the other... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, that's all. Okay, go. I was going to say, the, 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 the other, this, this uh, guy on my teacher message board, his, his other sort of line of thinking was, um, you know, the, conspir- you know the, the Holocaust happened. Uh, but um, but like like sort of Jews outside of Europe, so like you know North American Jews, American Jews, they 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 let it happen with the idea that you know it, you know if the European Jews get you know really get killed and treated horribly, then this will after the war is finished, this will you know give us sympathy and let us you know get a holy land. So yes, so, yes, so yeah. so, it was all part of their big conspiracy to get Israel. Yes, exactly. So, so you know, some of his evidence is like uh, the you know the, the Zionists. They uh, they uh, you know they you know all, all the dealings they had with the Nazis. You know that they weren't like uh, you know they, they were clearly dealing with the Nazis. It's like almost like business partners. And and one right, of the, right. yeah, so one of his claims was that that um, that you know the Zionists sort of uh, during the late 1930s, mid to late 1930s, sort of were uh, were helping the Nazis uh, sell goods in Palestine and all through Europe. You know, they were they were 
they were uh, facilitating trade, which sort of sounds like, ooh, you know, those those Jews just have to get that money, and they don't care who is, you know, who's dying. Yeah. And and but when you sort of like uh, research this claim, it's like. Well, that's not really what they were doing. What was happening was, it, you know, there were a lot of uh, Jews who were trying to get out of Germany when they still could in the 1930s. And, yes. they, were, and they obviously wanted to get their uh, money out of Germany and go to the Holy Land, right, to go to Palestine. And, but, you know, as we experience sometimes in Korea, it's very hard to get our money out of Korea. So, yes. you know, this idea that, oh, we don't want the capital fleeing Korea. So, so... So the so the Nazi Nazis wouldn't let uh, the German Jews leaving take their money, but the only way they would let them take their money is is sort of you know if you wanted to take out a million dollars or you know, a million marks then 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 this sort of this uh, Jewish trade organization in Palestine had to ensure that you know a million dollars of German exports were sold in Palestine. So. So, you know, it wasn't a, a deal to enrich anybody. It was a deal with the devil. But, yes, but that, that out was, of necessity. Yes, exactly. You, you know, the Jews want to get out, then, you know, you have to help us sell, you know, you know every dollar they want to take out, you have to help us sell a dollar worth of goods in, in uh, you know, in Palestine. So that was kind of the, uh, that, that sort of the, the, uh, the real skinny on that claim. So, yeah. Yes. So, and so, and uh, al- along that same line, uh, one of the things that I came across was that um, Israel continues to receive trillions of dollars worldwide as retribution for Holocaust gassings, including $35 billion a year from the U.S. Uh, so apparently the U.S. is sending $35 billion in reparation money to Israel. And it says, um, if it were not for our gifts to Israel, every family in America could afford a brand new Mercedes. <laughs> so so apparently the US has decided to to make reparations for something that it um never caused. fought to fought to end it not only didn't cause um uh, which I, I'm sure the people fighting for slave reparations would be really angry to hear about yeah that's true <laughs> yeah so you, what you're saying about um the you know you know Israel's getting trillions of dollars the uh, it, and it's not quite about the Holocaust, but it's you know along the lines of you know you know the you know the Jews are evil and uh, they're sort of operating in the shadows to line their pockets. There's the uh, sort of the it's called the Jewish Jewish tax on food conspiracy. You know, like if you you know flip flip over any product, almost most products have you'll see like a little circle with a letter like circle R, or circle K, or something, and uh, and and that means means it's kosher. That um, you know that that at some point some rabbi has sort of inspected the the you know the the manufacturing plant and said okay you know follows kosher laws and and uh, so you know so and then they get to put the little little stamp on there. So this guy and this is like long long time ago, and uh, which I think it's this shofar site. If you actually sort of Google on my name, you'll you'll find me in there. I was arguing with this guy. This is God. This is back in like the dawn of the internet uh even before the web it's called usenet sort of a big message board kind of thingy anyway so uh you saw, he had, this guy had this figure something about like oh you know the huge amounts of money they pay these rabbis to get the kosher 
you know, the, the kosher labeling. And this adds, you know, untold amounts of money to the cost of every product. And, and then he's sort of claiming, you know, like, you know, it's, um, you know, it, Canada, you know, something like it was costing Canadians like an extra, I don't know, six or eight billion dollars a year on, you know, on their food purchase. Well, and, only if they're buying kosher food. Yeah. Well, this is anything like <laughs> Pepsi. You know, like you look at a you know bottle of Pepsi. Um, and it's it, kosher. It's kosher. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, seriously, it's true. I mean, look look at a lot of food products. Kosher, kosher funyuns. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even even in, even in Korea, it, it, a lot of the products had a little little kosher symbol. And uh, but uh, but I point out to this guy, like I said, do, do some research, and it's like, well, like you know, the software industry in Canada is like. You know, wasn't even half what this guy's figure was for you know, you know, the, you know, the kosher labeling industry. And I'm like, it's pretty <laughs> apparent. There's you know, you, you look everywhere, and there's a software industry. You know, that the that the evidence of the software industry is everywhere. You know, like if yeah. if this kosher labeling industry was you know twice what the software industry was you know per year in you know revenues, like where is it? You know, right. Yeah. So some but, rabbi's got a, got the market cornered. Yeah. Well, he's some got guy, his own private island somewhere. Yeah. Well, some guy sort of joined the discussion. He's like, well, you know, I, I you know, I, I manage a uh, planter's peanut plant. You know, we bottle planter's peanuts, and every year we have a rabbi come in, and um, once. Yeah. Yeah. We pay him. I think it was like ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars or something for. Okay. Uh, the certain services and all that sort of stuff. And, but then, you know, he's like, but we make, you know, our plant every year produces this number of peanuts, you know? So, so, you know, so the, the $10,000, $20,000 cost distributed among, you know, the millions of jars of peanuts, it, it, it amounts to, you know, fractions of a cent per jar. Like it, it's, it's, you couldn't even work that into the, into the, you know, the cost of the jar. And uh, yeah. so, so, you know, it, it's pretty clear that this, this, this whatever the, the kosher labeling is, it's it's not really. Yeah, once a year being inspected by someone is is not going to appreciably yeah. raise the cost unless you have such a niche product and you're like hand making some labor intensive food item. You yeah. know. All right. So what, one one of the one of the tests I use for you know is it a true conspiracy as in you know, crazy conspiracy theory versus you know a, <laughs> a, what, a what, plausible you know, one. <laughs> yeah, there there are legitimate conspiracies out there, but uh, uh, I call it the uh, DeAngelis and the fellow postulates. There was a guy called Perry DeAngelis. He's actually passed away, and uh, and uh, another guy, Dr. Stephen Novella. They they were the hosts of a. Uh, uh, skeptical podcast called the uh, skeptics guide to the universe it's obviously still on and i don't have to tell my listeners that you know because they, they, they come already to, subscribe oh yeah well they, it's the number one skeptical podcast like okay. you know I'm, I'm just i'm just picking up the crumbs you know like <laughs> if there's anybody out there that listens to my podcast and doesn't listen to stu let me know because that turn this podcast off right now and go download stu but uh, that'd be my advice. Come back to me after you've listened to. I'll, I'll give you a list of what, who you should listen to, and then listen to me. But anyways, so uh, so they, they they had sort of a, what they thought were like the three features of a uh, you know a true you know you know lunatic conspiracy theory. There were there were basically sort of three sides. There was the uh, there was sort of the uh, uh, the evil side. The uh, you know the people who are you know 
doing the conspiracy. And these people are uh, incredibly powerful. They're, they can, um, you know, they can erase history. They can, you know, they can make microfilm disappear. They can, uh, you know, they, they, they have incredible power and influence over media and, and everything. But, but at the same time, they, they, they also make fundamental, silly mistakes that, you know, that an ESL teacher in Korea can, can pick up, you know? It's right. like, you know, it's like the that, HIV. That somehow historians haven't noticed in the last Exactly. Test. Exactly. It's like, you know, all, all of these, you know, all of these, you know, virologists, they totally missed this one little flub in the whole, you know, HIV is a, you know, is a conspiracy thing, you know? So, you right. know, that, 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 you know, people like you and I, we, we can see it, but, you know, they can't. And so, so yeah, so there's the, the vast evil, powerful evil who makes, you know, elementary errors. Uh, and then there's the uh, and this the, the the sheeple, and that's you know you and I were the uh, were the dupes, yeah. and uh, you know we're just being you know led like lambs to the slaughter. And some some of us are just blissfully unaware, and others you know like people like you and I we we fight hard to maintain our worldview that you know yes that that you know people are not keep our head in the sand by choice exactly. And then there's finally they call the uh, the DeAngelis novella postulates. They, they call it the, the army of light, which I think is a great term. That these are the people they swallowed the, I'm never sure what the pill is, the blue pill, the red pill, but they swallowed one of those pills and they can, they can see through. They've seen the conspiracy, they know what's going on and it's their job to fight the conspiracy and to tell the world. Yeah. So, um, so, so in, in, in the Holocaust denial conspiracy, uh, uh, the big evil. Who's the big evil in this? Well, obviously the the Jewish control of the world. Right. The the, the Zionists and their uh, lapdogs. Right. Yes. Yes. Right. And they can obviously right. They can they can rewrite history. You know. Um, they, well, you know they control Hollywood, so so they've got control of the media there. Exactly. And, yes. And so they can you know let us be little sheep and be brainwashed with their movies and. Exactly. Other such uh, forms of of media. Yeah, and and basic fundamental errors. What are what we've we've talked about a couple, um, you, know, you know, like cyanide. You know, the cyanide. Uh, yeah. Gas, right? You know, or you know, the, they they revised the uh, you know the, the plaque at Auschwitz, and you know, and you know, all these historians are going, hmm, yeah, how come we're not revising? Our numbers? You know. Yeah. And, Right, the sheeple. Obviously, we are we are, we are the sheeple, right? Yes. The, uh, American taxpayer. Uh, you know, I mean, this is this is you know sending billions of dollars every year to Israel. This is the uh, you know, yes, right? purely purely for reparations. Yes, exactly. You know, sort of. It's know, it's not. There is no other um, other reason that money would be going from the U.S. to Israel. Right. Exactly. Now, now I will say I did come across something which had a little kernel of truth okay um it was that um first of all that in america we continually focus on the nazi holocaust when there have been other holocausts sure yes. now, right. so, right. uh, um obviously like hotel rwanda uh right. recently or fairly recently you know has brought the rwandan holocaust into uh the public eye but right. it's true. America just ignores Africa and African wars, and and they have uh, genocide 
over and over in various places. Right. Um, however, America has a huge uh, European ancestry, pop, right, you know, yes. the population as a whole. Yeah. And so, you know, it seems sort of natural that we would be more Eurocentric in our views. Um, yeah. So, so that's one thing. But, but then it says that uh, nothing in Israel can be wrong because uh, Jews were gassed at Auschwitz. Right, um, right. And I would, I would say that America does, on the whole, tend to side with Israel when wh- whatever Israel does. Sure. Um, however, as a balance, uh, Britain tends to uh, take the uh, the um, Palestinian side. Uh, I'm not sure if that's like 100, percent but my husband was always going on about right America being wrong. And, and so I, I do think that America does sort of blindly say, okay, you know, Australia, uh, Israel's obviously right when, when you know, there's no real right side, I think, in, in that conflict. Right, yeah. Well, so I, mean, yeah. I think that was a tiny, tiny, barest little kernel of truth, but I, I don't think it's because they were gassed in Auschwitz. I, I think <laughs> it's just because America likes Jews more than Muslims on yeah. the whole. Well, I mean, I think uh, one of the reasons I think, you know, uh, especially in, say, North America, we talk a lot about, right, you know, the, the, the Holocaust over sort of other other genocides is, um, right, right, because one, because, I mean, it's, it's, that was us doing it in a way. Well, I mean, not us, yes, but, yeah. but, you know, our ancestors. Where there we are come. certainly more people of German ancestry in the U.S. Yes, exactly. than, than yeah. African, specifically exactly. Rwandan yeah. ancestry. Uh, and also sort of the idea that, you know, you know, here is this country that is, you know, was a model for what we think is right about, you know, our culture, you know, you know, science and art and, and, and they, they, you know, they, they achieved all of that and they were at the height of that. And, uh, and then they were sort of just swept into this barbarism in, you know, in, uh, you know, in less than a decade. And, yes. And and so you know it's it's that that's sort of horrifying. It's it's like it's like you know when uh, you know uh, you know the the Challenger disaster, right? You know things yeah. you know, things blow up all the time, and even more people die in big explosions. Uh, but you know, but to us, it was but the Challenger disaster was horrifying because because you know this is this is all of our science and engineering sort of. Uh, and it blew up, and that's not supposed to happen, you know. And right. and and, and then a nation that's that sort of you know a Christian nation at the height of its scientific and cultural power, it's not supposed to happen. So that's why we really concentrate on that because, wow, you know. A sheeple, a great a great quote that I came across. I have right. to, to write it down. Okay, okay uh, this was responding to Marvin Stern, who is or was at the time of this being written the director for the Northwest Regional Branch of the Anti Defamation League. Uh, And uh, he was bewildered over the growing Holocaust revisionist movement. And uh, they rebut saying he lays the blame for the growing influence of revisionism on the ignorance and anti-Semitism of Americans. He appears not to understand that he's charging tens of millions of American citizens with being ignorant anti-Jewish bigots. A recent Roper poll reports 20 to 30 percent of adult Americans doubt they're being told the truth about the Holocaust story. Well, obviously, the flip side is that this writer is accusing 70 to 80 percent of American citizens of being idiots. Oh, right. Because they they believe that it's true. So so only the 20 to 30 percent aren't the idiots then. (laughs) 
So I thought that was great. And the guy, uh, one of the sources that I had just over and over says that, you know, Christians don't have the right to believe in things that aren't true. Like it's, it's your responsibility as a good Christian to, to find the truth and only accept historical facts. And I quote, a Christian is guided by truth and facts, not emotions and majority opinion. Yeah, never. You will never <laughs> hear a Christian use an argument based on emotion or majority opinion when they're arguing something. Well, there's a, there's a great quote, and I can't reproduce it from memory, but from, from August, uh, St. Augustine, who, I think it was St. Augustine, who's basically sort of saying it, it's important for Christians to sort of... Uh, understand science and facts and because if they go around sort of preaching the word of god and you know uh and getting all the science wrong people are going to go you're stupid you know (laughs) so so it's kind of it's sort of uh yeah it's it's kind of yes it's, it's important for even christians to be sort of rational people all right, so there's the sheeple, and and then the uh, the army of light is uh, obviously the uh, the uh, the revisionists, the people. You know, they're not uh, they're not uh, they're not saying this didn't happen, right? They're just sort of saying there's... no. They're they're just saying that it, they the people were not gassed in the numbers that were claimed, and, and therefore it's not that big of a deal. As far right. as I can tell, right? Or, or they're 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 just they're they're fighting for they're fighting for freedom, academic freedom. It's another yes. big one in the, yes, in the, right? Yeah, the creation um, debate. And I have I have a great unemotional quote because because right. um, they would not use they would not reduce themselves to emotional, um, you know, arguments. Um, this is re- rebutting a woman named Deborah Lipstadt. Uh, the Deborah Lipstadts, and there is a clique of them on every campus work to suppress revisionist research and demand that students and faculty ape their fascist behavior. If you refuse to accept the Lipstadt click as your intellectual furors, you risk being (laughs) slandered as an anti-Semite. These quasi-religious Holocaust zealots claim that because of the purity of their own feelings about the Jewish experience during World War II, yours are soiled if you doubt what they preach as truth. Yeah, completely unemotional and fact-based. Yeah. <laughs> well, De- De- Deborah Lipstadt, she was a uh, she's an American author who sort of wrote a book about David Irving and basically called him uh, uh, a, a Nazi, uh, you know, a neo-Nazi. Yeah, and then David Irving sued her, but he, you know he sued her in uh, in the UK where you know the libel laws are different, and you know you have to sort of prove your innocence and. Uh, and you know David Irving thought, ha ha, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna really win this, and uh, and the judge basically ruled, no no David Irving, you are a neo-Nazi, you know, <laughs> because it's sort of like he his, his ruling is online, probably still online. I printed out the whole thing and read it. It's it's, it's brilliant, and uh, basically he's like, you know, if you hang out with neo-Nazis. If you give talks at neo-Nazi, you know, rallies, if you parrot the words of neo-Nazis and you distort history in only the way neo-Nazis distort history, then you might just probably be a neo-Nazi. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll, on the website, I'll put up a link to that because you, you really got to download it. It's just, and, and a lot of the denialist claims are were brought up at this, at this trial. You know, the, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, but, and, and another one of their claims that the majority of the deaths happened at 
in the last months of the war because of allies, because of the allied bombing that disrupted transport um, routes so that the food and medical supplies could not reach the, the camps. Because otherwise, obviously, the, the um, inmates would have been uh, fully fed and given great medical attention as they needed. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the other losses book we were talking about at, at the top of the podcast, that was sort of one of the claims that it was like all this food is being stockpiled and, you know, not given to the German prisoners. And and uh, and it's like, what, there was a lot of food in Europe, you know, after right after yeah. the war. Like, like the British yeah, I don't remember were, hearing about that yeah, before. <laughs> like the British were on, uh, you know, the British were on rationing into like the 50s, you know. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And but but actually it was like like you food was being stockpiled but it was actually being stockpiled in advance of the winter time you know uh, because you know food doesn't grow on trees in the winter time and right. so you know they're kind of stockpiling food for winter you know <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and right. and another another piece of evidence they give is that uh, people out outside of Europe. Uh, claimed they did not realize the enormity of what was happening. He said, It is true the world responded with indifference. How else should people have responded to that which they did not believe and for which and which for them was a non-event? Well, the fact that people did not re, you know, respond in, in the necessary manner does not mean that the event didn't occur. Right. You know, it, it, if someone calls you and says, I think there's a stranger in my house and, and you think they're being nuts and you don't go over and save them and and then they get killed right that doesn't mean they didn't get killed it just means that you didn't believe them yeah you feel bad right. you feel bad at the end yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it was does it doesn't mean you were sort of doing it so you know his surviving children can get a holy land you know right right it's called the uh, and, and get reparations from from nations all over the world yeah it's called the our argument from final consequences fallacy you know it's like uh uh you know 9-11 i, I promise i'd never talk about 9-11 on this podcast but that's only <laughs> on uh conspiracy skeptic classic on conspiracy skeptic unplugged yeah what the hell who knows what's coming up? So, um, yeah. So it's like it's like you know it's like uh, you know you know Bush got all this power uh, after 9/11, so therefore Bush must have caused 9/11. You know. So uh, yeah, so that's sort of the, the argument from final consequences they, they like to make. It's like well, it got those Zionists the Holy Land, therefore, you know they must have you know known what they were doing and all their inaction and stuff. But you know. That was another sort of claim by this guy on the teacher message board. All the inaction. They could have done all this stuff, but they never did. And then when you look, it's like, no, they, you know, they got, they, they got senators to bring it up, and you know, on you know the floor of the Senate, like, 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 like a senator who was like a, uh, an isolationist senator, like the guy who didn't want to join the UN, didn't want to get involved in World War II, and this guy was on the floor of the Senate going. It's a travesty. We're letting the Jews get slaughtered in Europe, and we're not doing anything. You know, and so, yeah. you know, they took out ads, you know, in the New York Times. They org- they were organizing like a you know brigade to send over to Europe, and like, and but according to this guy, they did nothing. And it's like, well, what is your goalpost for doing nothing? Because here's all these things right. they did. You know, right. and is that still nothing? That's still nothing. You know, like, well, well, he, he didn't yeah. get on a plane and go over there and try to single-handedly close the camps. So therefore, yeah, 
Yeah, I don't know. Did nothing. All right. So I think we should, we should wrap it up at that point. We've gone through yeah. the, the um, end. Novella well, do you have any final comments, Jennifer? I, I do have a final comment. I have a, a, a final quote from uh, Rudolf Huss, who was the commandant at Auschwitz and okay. who the deniers claim was coerced into his testimony and through torture and other Natural. nefarious means and sort of hinted that he later recanted. Huh. Um, uh, he... Let, he sent a message to the state prosecutor four days before he was hanged and the message was my conscience compels me to make the following declaration in the solitude of my prison cell I have come to the bitter recognition that I have sinned gravely against humanity as commandant of Auschwitz I was responsible for carrying out part of the cruel plans of the Third Reich for human destruction in doing so I'm sorry in so doing I have inflicted terrible wounds on humanity I caused unspeakable suffering for the Polish people in particular I am to pay for this with my life may the Lord God forgive one day what I have done that does go. not sound like a uh, recant to me not really no alright and that's a great way to wrap it up I think with that, with that quote there you go take it up with that guy if you don't believe it but uh, alright well Jennifer well thank you for, for being my uh my my beta tester on well, the, thanks for uh, having me on the first installment of uh, uh, conspiracy skeptic unplugged and uh, I think next week I'm going to have a uh, another Louisiana person on uh, Ryan because we're the best yeah for sure I love you Louisiana <laughs> people uh, actually my my three favorite people in the world you uh, Brian <laughs> Brian Thompson from the Amateur Scientist podcast he'll be on the next guest and. Uh, Michael Goudeau from uh, Penn Radio Show. All three of you are from Louisiana. Coincidence? Oh, wow. Coincidence? I don't think so. I think all the best people in the world come from Louisiana. I've got to get my... those who come from, from Canada, of course. Right, I've got to get my ass down to Louisiana soon. Check this place out. All right. Okay. All right. And uh, you, people can listen to you on uh, the Soul Podcast. Soul, as in like uh, the spelling of the city. Uh, S. Can you spell S E O U L? Come on, you lived there there's, for four years. There's too many vowels in a row. I get tripped up. Soul podcast, all one word. Dot com, right? Yeah, not S O L or S O U L. Soul podcast. Dot com, and then you're available on iTunes and uh, and uh, get get it that way. And yeah, you can hear Jennifer every week. And uh, t- where you guys talk for three hours. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, uh, I, Joe's trying to work on that. Okay, yeah. I, I'll apologize. Maybe people might complain. This is a really long podcast this time around. But um, because I'm you, on it, and I'm very yeah, talky. You know, my, yeah. My 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 excuse is always uh, we spend uh, the greater part of our week not really talking to uh, you know people who's. You know, language uh, English is not their first language and uh, yeah, they communicate well enough in English but you just can't have natural conversations with them you know like I say you can't just start going cheeseburger 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 and expect them to have any clue what you're talking about you know and right, um, or, yeah because they're either not American or, or they're 20 years younger yeah, than myself or yeah, exactly yeah that's the other issue so but so so when you do get together with you know another native speaker of english it's like you've got a week of just things you want to talk about you know just like 
Britney Spears. I can't believe, you know, another beaver shot. You know, like just, just you want to use euphemisms <laughs> and cultural references and, you know, all sorts of things. And you just, so you just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and you'll talk for hours and it feels so good, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I do it better when I have show notes, though. Yeah. Yeah. Tonight I, I went to uh, dinner with some some people and it was like the first time I'd met them and uh, I was talking to the guy across from me and you know talked for about five to ten minutes and then I, I ran out of my uh, casual chit chat with strangers convo so I was just like smiling at him <laughs> <laughs> like please say something so I don't have to. <laughs> So, yeah. so man, your, your, your future conspiracy skeptic unplugged podcast probably, probably won't be that long. So please bear with me. I'm just sort of figuring out this uh, this this format and the technology, etc. But uh, all right then, and uh, well, have and happy happy New Year there, Jennifer. Yes, happy Lunar New Year yeah, or Chinese New Year, depending on what you call it. Yeah, we're recording this over Lunar Chinese New Year. So yeah, and uh, so enjoy your time off. Oh, thanks. And right. when when should this go on? Well, sometime two weeks. <laughs> and, and, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, Friday. Look for it Friday. Okay. All cool. right. Bye, bye, Jennifer. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>